At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to join us in our message series and dive deeper into what God's Word has for us today. Thanks so much for singing with us, worshiping Jesus with us today. Thanks, worship team, for preparing so well and leading us into really the presence of Jesus as we worship Him. It's good to worship Jesus together. It really is. Thanks for doing that. It's good to be in his word, too. I hope you're coming into this place today, having been in his word. Uh, that's one of the things that we've discovered is the Christian life just reaches another level of fruitfulness when, when you dive into his word on a daily basis, on a regular basis, individually. We need time together. We need time in his word. We need time for teaching. This is one of the things that Jesus called us to do and his spirit has called the church to do. Uh, but we also need those times ourselves to be pressing into God's word and having his spirit teach, teach us. Just before we dive in our passage this morning, I want to just mention a new series that we're starting next week on the book of Revelation. Uh, we're tackling the last few chapters, actually, as we look at the return of Jesus when the story of his redemption all comes to a conclusion because we believe, as the Spirit has inspired its writing, we believe that the, a view of the end of the story will dramatically affect how you live your story. If you understand how victory is promised and that it will come through the, the name and the power of Jesus, you will be much more moved to live for his glory right now. So we don't know when the end is going to come. Uh, don't think that, oh, good, now we'll know when the date is. Now that we're studying this, no, no, we're not going to share any dates with you. Uh, only the Father knows when Jesus will return. Uh, but we do know what we should be doing. We should be living ready for his return. Uh, so we'll look forward to that starting next week. But today we're going to look at the book of Luke. Luke chapter 1, so if you have your Bibles, you can turn there if you would like, or if you have your devices, uh, you can certainly find Luke chapter 1. On this Mother's Day, it's a great day, I've always enjoyed Mother's Day, a uh, day we celebrate the influence of moms in our lives. Uh, and maybe you're like me, and you have had a wonderful experience with a mom, a mother, a woman of faith who's influenced you. You know, it was my mom that led me to Jesus uh, back when I was just a little snotty-nosed kid. Um, and she hosted a, or a birthday party for Jesus at Christmas time for the neighborhood kids. Uh, so I attended that, and that's when I saw my need of a Savior, and I gave my life to him. Uh, so I'm thankful for mom's continued influence in my life. Uh, and then God allowed me to marry a beautiful woman of faith, a woman who loves Jesus with all of her heart. And I've watched her invest that faith into the lives of our kids. Uh, so it's been a joy for me to, to experience Mother's Day with Nancy. Um, and so grateful for you, my love. And happy Mother's Day to you. Aw, aw. What did I do, right? That guy made trouble that I hit. No, it's just true. I love her so much. I also know that Mother's Day can be a tough day, that um, some carry some really difficult memories into, into Mother's Day. Some carry grief. 
that this is a really hard day for you. I know that some feel a void in your life on Mother's Day. And it's good to remember that God knows our pain. And he's right here in the midst of it. He's with us in times of trouble. He is a God that doesn't move away when it gets uncomfortable. He's a God that moves close uh, when, when pain is most severe. Uh, so I'm thankful that you're here with us and pray that God would minister to you in your life today. But for our time in the Word, we're going to take kind of a unique look at a passage in Luke chapter 1. It's a passage from the Christmas story, but doesn't really get much attention at Christmas. It's the story that ultimately it reveals God fulfilling his promise from the prophets on how he would send two very important people that would be key players in his plan of redemption, his plan of salvation uh, through human history. Uh, those two people are John the Baptist and Jesus of Nazareth, uh, two people that the prophets declared would be born. Um, our, our focus today, though, is on the relationship between those two moms, John the Baptist's mom, who is Elizabeth, and Jesus' mom, who is Mary. Certainly, we'll see that God uses godly women to advance his mission. <laughs> I hope you know that. I hope there's no... Uh, no guys here that think that, oh, it all rests on the men of faith. Oh, my goodness. We desperately need women uh, to be fully invested in the kingdom of God. And God has faithfully, through all generations, used women uh, to advance his mission. Uh, we are all equal in creation, uh, male and female. God uniquely designed each of us to fulfill his purpose. And so we certainly see that in this passage, but we also see the importance of godly relationships as we look at this relationship between Elizabeth and Mary. And we talk about this often here because we really believe that so many people, especially in the American context, are missing out on key aspects of his formation in us when we isolate. That's what research shows today. There was a recent Harvard study just released that describes the loneliness in our American culture today. It says that 36% of American adults feel serious loneliness in their life. 60 or 39%, 36%. Of that, there's 61% of young adults that feel serious loneliness. This is the generation that has technology, instant communication, right with others, but digital communication has not fulfilled the need for life-giving relationships. In fact, that sense of loneliness, according to this study, continues to dramatically increase as time goes on. So we really feel that this is a message that's good to say pretty consistently, that we need godly relationships in our lives. In fact, Solomon said this in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, thousands of years ago. He says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. If they fall, one will lift up his fellow. 
But woe to the one who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. We are better together. I think that's good if we just said that. Would you say that with me? We are better together. That's a truth etched all throughout the Holy Scriptures. So Luke chapter 1 and verse 39. We'll look through the end of the chapter starting in verse 39. And first of all, we see that in relationship, in godly relationship, we experience God in different ways. Verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So here's the part of the Christmas story. I mean, we talk, I guess, at the nativity scenes about the angel giving the announcement to Mary. And then this stuff happens. One of the things that Mary says is, Mary, even your cousin Elizabeth is great with child. That was astounding because Mary knew that whether it's her cousin or aunt, we're not really sure from the text, it was a close relative, that we knew that Elizabeth was advanced in age, well past the age of bearing children. But an angel appeared to Elizabeth, or excuse me, to her husband, Zechariah, who was a priest who was serving in the temple. An angel appeared to him to say, you're going to have a child. And he will be the forerunner of the Messiah that the prophets had predicted would come. Well, Mary, whether she knew that or not, the text doesn't really show, but the angel told her, so Elizabeth is going to have a child. So Mary, what do you think she did after the angel went away? She thought, I'm going to go check this out. If this is true, that Elizabeth could possibly have a child? Most historians suggest that Mary was probably close to 16 years old at the time. And so as she immediately, with haste, traveled to the hill country of Judah, if you look at a map, you would see that's a trip of about 90 miles. So a 16-year-old traveling alone, but not alone, probably. She probably found a group of people that were traveling that route because it was a common route, because this hill country is outside of Jerusalem. And a year ago, I traveled this route. It didn't take me four to five days like it did Mary, because we were in an air-conditioned van, and it was a nice, beautiful drive with mountains on either side, down in this lower area that goes kind of along the Jordan River. But then we got to the hill country of Judea, or, or Judah, and, and just imagine how for, throughout the New Testament history, people would walk that journey. Incredible thing to consider. The 16-year-old girl taking this trip. So once she arrives to this compound where Zachariah and Elizabeth lived, she calls out, Elizabeth, it's Mary! The, the, the story says, according to the Holy Scriptures, it says 
Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, when she heard the greeting of Mary, the baby in her womb leaped. So this baby, probably six months of development, probably nine inches long or so, leaped within her. So think of these two different women. Here's Elizabeth, who lived all through her adulthood. Once she came to the point where she could have a child physically, all throughout those years, hoping she would have a child, but never could. But finally, well past the years where she maybe should, she conceives. And here she is, six months pregnant. And then you have a 16-year-old who's never been with a man, who is just told by the angel, you're going to conceive a child by the Holy Spirit. So she's brand new pregnant, never dreamed this could be possible, maybe doubting it even was, maybe which is why she went to see Elizabeth, because if the angel said this is true, and maybe a little evidence that just so you know this is true, your cousin Elizabeth is, is a child too. She came to Elizabeth to say, just to see, maybe see for herself, is this true? Because if Elizabeth's pregnant, maybe I really am. So here's these two crazy different stories, and yet so alike in that it required a miraculous God. That's one of the beautiful things. When you're in Christian relationship, when you're part of a spiritual community, you can see how God works in so many different ways. And what is so alike is this. Only God. <laughs> Have you ever said that in your life? Only God. I've heard some of your stories, and I hear your background, and as I listen to the story, I think, wow, only God could have brought you through that. I hear some of the adversity you've gone through, and I've heard some of the, the ways that God has revealed his truth to you. Only God. But here's the thing. If you, if you, if you isolate and find yourself just in a relationship with you and God, one of the dangers of that is that you begin to, to categorize the work of God as only according to the things that you know or you've experienced. But the beautiful thing about God is that you cannot put him in a box. I remember coming out of Bible college. Was I 21, I think, when I graduated? And I had this file box, which was my senior project. And in this file box was everything I needed to do church ministry. <laughs> I had my philosophy in there. It was a several-page document that outlined, here's what biblical church ministry is like. I had my first year of ministry all planned out in my file box. I knew what Christians should wear. <laughs> I knew what Christians should do. 
I knew what a church should look like. I even labeled that box New Testament Church Ministry. <laughs> oh, how silly and how foolish I was. But I, I had a few years of schooling, so I knew something, right? And I loved Jesus with all of my heart, and I was ready to lay my life down for him. And we joined a church ministry, and I was so full of excitement, ambition, and passion. And the cool thing about that is I stepped into a church that kind of had a similar box. No, they had their own box, but mine fit into that. So it all was great. And then I began to make friends of people that weren't in that church, weren't in that denomination or that camp. I began to interact with people who loved Jesus with all of their heart. And they didn't do church ministry like what my box, my file box says it should be done. <laughs> they didn't look that way. They didn't even act that way. And I began to see that, oh, they might love Jesus even more. And then through ministry as years went on, I began to um, experience ministry in other cultures. And soon in those places where people spoke a different language and had a different expression of culture and they had a different rhythm of celebration and they come into their houses of worship and man, it looks so radically different than what I had experienced in my past. But here's what was alike. They loved Jesus with all of their heart. I began to see that, oh, God isn't an American. <laughs> oh, God isn't this type of a Christian. How can, I, how, can, how can I put God in a file box? I began to see that, oh, sure, God had revealed himself in a very specific way through his word. And I could see that God is our Heavenly Father, that God is the creator of the world, that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And some of those things that the Scripture articulates with such clarity, but I began to also see that there is great difference in how God works. And what do you think that did to my heart as a young pastor? Did I think, oh, man... I guess I can't do this ministry thing. No. I was filled with excitement of, wow, God is so much bigger and better than what I thought he was. It just elevated my spirit of worship and my, my dedication to him because he was not a God made in my image. He's a God that an idol could never describe him. He's a God that a church could never contain him. He's a God truly greater, truly other. He's a God worthy of worship. And when you're in relationship with one another, you begin to see that. Sometimes there's that danger of thinking, God has to work this way because that's how he worked in my life. Right? And so we, we have to structure things this way because that's how he worked in my life. And then you begin to see, oh, wait, God's not that small. Because look how he worked in this person's life. Let's allow God freedom to work according to his good pleasure, not according to ours. 
godly relationships provide opportunity to see the many ways that God is working. If God only works in this way, then I'm desperate for him to work in this way. But what if he chooses to work all the way around a different way? I can relax and say, God, whatever you desire, I'll just be faithful to what you call me to do, and I, I'm freely confident that you will perform your good work because nothing can stop the work of God. Second, as we continue this relationship, the text, that as we, as we read, it says that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, some of us might have, oh, I know what that means because I was filled with the Holy Spirit, so it's probably this. Hold on. When you're in spiritual community, you see God working in a variety of ways. Here how he is, here's how he works as he fills Elizabeth with his presence. She exclaimed, verse 42, she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women, blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. In a Holy Spirit-filled relationship, we encourage one another. Just imagine the encouragement that Mary would have, heard, would have had as Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, speaks these words in response to her. She calls her and her child blessed. I don't know what Mary was thinking. The text doesn't specifically describe what Mary's thinking. But I can imagine the fears and the worries that this 16-year-old girl may have had. Maybe initially when the angel gave her that message, she was overwhelmed with, the, with such a privilege that her, a sinner, just like the rest of all mankind, would be called to carry the child of God, the Son of God. And maybe she did feel, was overwhelmed with the, with the honor of that. But maybe those emotions journeyed to that place of, but is anybody going to believe me? What difficulties are going to lie ahead? Because I'm not married. What challenges am I going to face? And for Elizabeth to say, how blessed you are. How blessed your child is. Elizabeth calls Mary's child her Lord. Notice, of course, she's not referring to a glob of tissue or any such thing. She's referring to this child, this baby, this one that already has identity that is created in the image of God, right? That is a person even at this state. But even more than that, this is a person of high esteem. This is her Lord, her Messiah, the promised one. 
Again, I can imagine Mary's wondering if anyone is really going to believe that she's carrying the Christ. And here's Elizabeth saying, you are carrying the Christ. So here's one. I don't know what other people are going to think, but here's one. That I didn't even have to tell her. Mary didn't have to tell Elizabeth. And Mary knew this child is her Lord. She affirms Mary's faith. She says, for behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ear, the baby leaped for joy. Because you believed that it would be the fulfillment. Mary, you believe. She's affirming Mary's faith. She gives validation for what Mary had heard from God. Mary, will anyone believe me? Yep, Elizabeth believes me. So yeah, in this beautiful, Christ-centered, Holy Spirit-filled relationship, there's encouragement. It made me think of Barnabas. You heard of Barnabas in the New Testament, in the book of Acts? He's, he's a man who, the Bible says, his, his name was called Son of Encouragement. But here's the thing. That wasn't his given name. His name was Joseph. We've got enough Josephs here, but I'm still going to mention that. How many Josephs are in the house today? Can I see your hand, Josephs? One, two, three. All right, and certainly Josephs out ministering in Birmingham. Well, here's another Joseph who encountered the gospel. After Jesus rose and ascended to heaven, he heard about Jesus, he believed, he gave his life to Jesus, and was filled with the Holy Spirit, transformed his life into a person of encouragement. One of the scenes describes him hearing of, of families that were destitute because they'd been ostracized by their community because they followed Jesus. So here's what Joseph did. He took a parcel of land that he owned and he sold it. He took all the money and he said, here, families, this will help. And he did that so frequently that people stopped calling him Joseph and they started calling him son of encouragement. That's just how he lives. That's Joseph filled with the Holy Spirit. He works in so many different ways. Maybe when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, as, as the Spirit just empowers you to speak, you can speak words that will just lift people up. Maybe as you're filled with the Spirit, you, you are burdened to reach down into those resources that God has given to you, and you bless those that have need. Maybe you have certain gifts and abilities that as you invest them, just great things happen. But the crazy thing about the Holy Spirit of God is he fills us. He ministers through us in so many different ways. But it's so good that Paul says to the Ephesian church, so be filled with the Spirit. He says, don't, don't be intoxicated with wine because that will lead to ruin but instead be filled with the Spirit. So some people ask, okay, how do I do that? I thought when I got saved, the Holy Spirit came and lived in my life. He certainly does. Filling is like surrender, where we empty ourselves of our own ambitions and say, God, may your presence rule my life. Can I just give you a suggestion today? That every day as you wake up, that your day would begin by saying to God, Father, empty me of my own ambition and fill me with the Spirit. And then as you're heading to work, 
You say, Father, I ask that prayer again. Fill me with your spirit. And as you encounter that staff meeting or as you start heading home and start fighting traffic or whatever you're going to face, that you say, Father, fill me with your spirit so that as pressure comes, it's his fruit that is shown. How's that going to manifest itself? I don't know. I'd encourage you to remember, though, and maybe share that with your family. You know, here's what God did in my life today. I take no credit because it's not myself, because I emptied myself of all that ambition, but it's the Holy Spirit living through me. And here's the people I was able to encourage through that ministry. But you can't do that alone. That's the thing. Isolated believers are robbed of that incredible opportunity both to receive and to express that encouragement that comes from the Holy Spirit's influence. Third, let's, let me share this third thing that we see. In community, we envision God's plan for our lives. We can see it. As we're with other people, as we hear from them, as we see God's working in different ways, we're able to see God's plan for our lives. Look what happens in this relationship. And just, just watch as, as I read this. This is what some have called Mary's Magnificat, right? It's a Latin word for magnify, which was the first word of her prayer. Just watch how Mary receives God's affirmation on her life. Mary said, verse 46, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He's shown strength with his arm. He's scattered the proud with the thoughts of their heart. He brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He's helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Here's Mary, 16 years old, probably afraid, probably doubting. She hears Elizabeth say, you are blessed. The Lord is in you. God has chosen you. And her response is, I see it. I see what God is doing. He's reaching down to the least deserving and he's doing mighty things through them. And I see how he's done that all through the past, how consistently God has chosen the least, right? How, how he chose a shepherd, the youngest child that was thought not even worthy to be considered for leadership. And that's the one God chose, not only to slay a giant, but to lead a nation. I see how God has chosen a small servant girl and how she communicated and demonstrated the power of God to that Syrian uh, general called Naaman. I've seen how God chose a um, Deborah, a judge, because none of the men would stand. God reached and chose a woman to deliver 
I see how God in his history chose a person who stammered and stuttered to be the spokesman for God to lead his people out of slavery. I see it. And as she looked at her own life and saw all the reasons why not, she began to see because of God, they were all reasons that God has chosen them. That happens in spiritual community. I hope that happens here. I hope as you come here that you are inspired with an understanding that God deeply loves you and he's been pursuing you and he wants to wrap his arms around you and call you blessed to not only introduce you to all the splendor of knowing him, but also he infuses you with the abilities to change the world. That maybe you come in here out of a world that keeps knocking you down and keeps cutting you off at the knees. But maybe when you come here that you hear the words that you are my beloved servant in whom I'm well pleased. That you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost part of the world. That you would hear his message of affirmation that says, faithful is he who calls you, who will perform it through you. Because I know, I know, there's a tendency in our world to kind of elevate certain people. Well, those are the ones that God will use, and then there's the rest of us. But that's not the message of the kingdom. Where Jesus says, no, it's the faith of a child that even allows you to be in the kingdom. That That the definition of greatness is not being the one that lords over others, but one that serves the most. Jesus has this upside-down kingdom that the thing that flips the bottom to the top is God's blessing. And I want each of you here to know that God looks down on you with great favor. It's no accident you're here today. It's no accident you're under the word of God that is speaking words of affirmation to you that he has granted to you a plan and a purpose. He loves you deeply and you're an important part in his kingdom. The Holy Spirit has infused in each one of us abilities to be used by him, every single one of us, as he's decided, not as we decide, as he's decided. So that gives us great freedom to just fulfill your purpose that God's given to you. And you'll be blessed. I don't think Tanya Wurgau is here today, so we can talk about her as we wrap up. Don't miss church. All right? Because I might talk about you. Tanya caught on to this pretty cool thing where um, when I first met Tanya, she was she worked in retail and, and she wanted to be involved in ministry, but especially during the holidays and things, right? Retail is just so busy and she's worn out from that. And she, she found this pretty cool thing. She found that out there, where, where we all live, are some incredible treasures that people don't even know are treasures. They sell them in garage sales and yard sales and on Facebook Marketplace or whatever. So she's become really good at identifying things that have great value, but the owners don't realize it. It might be shoes or clothing, or handbags, or tools, or toys.
toys. I, I don't know how many categories she has. But she's been able to identify things like buying a pair of shoes for 50 cents at a thrift shop and selling them for $300. And I think, that's what God does. Where God looks at the world and what, what the world and the enemy wants to say to you is you're not worthy of love. Right? Maybe because you don't have all these toys and treasures yourself, and maybe because you're not in a position of high esteem and culture, you're really not very important. In fact, even culture says if, if your parents don't like an unborn baby, if you don't want it, you don't need to keep it. You just get rid of it. Or God says, oh, no. No, I look at the world and I see treasures. And I love to purchase those treasures. Now, it didn't come from a 50-cent purchase. It came from the giving of his one and only son to purchase us so that we would know him, find abundant life in him, and we would experience the glory of knowing God's love. He says, I love purchasing treasures because I know the value. And that's what God says to you. I don't know if you've responded to him. I hope so. If you've never responded to his love, it, it requires you to do that. Just like with anything that's offered to you, if you don't receive it, it doesn't really become yours. So God offers this incredible gift of salvation to you. And if you, if you receive it, it's simply by believing, by placing your faith in it. That God does love you enough to send his one and only son who died on the cross to pay for your sins, rose from the dead to prove he had done that great work. Faith in that work is what transforms us into being a child of God. That's receiving it, is believing. And by believing, we have eternal life. So have you received it? Today can be that day. And if you have received it, do you keep believing it? Do you keep believing that you are a treasure that God has etched out of this incredible creation? He's formed you into his image. He keeps working on you so you look more and more like Jesus because he knows that the more in love you are with Jesus, the more satisfied you'll be in your life. So are you allowing him to do that good work in you? And then are you embracing the opportunities he gives to you to then be used in his kingdom? So much is found in community that we'd never see if we are isolated. So make that a priority in your life. Let's pray. Father, you are so good. You have been faithful to all generations. I thank you, Lord, for the way that just in this little drama of human events when Jesus was born, we can see the importance of gospel community. I thank you for your faithfulness of so many in the past. But Lord, now the mantle is placed to us. Will we be faithful? Whatever role you've called us to fulfill in your world, Lord, we want to do that. We don't want to be so filled with our own ambitions about trinkets and um, temporary things. We want to know the kingdom of heaven. So keep filling us with your understanding, Lord. 
And we do give you praise for all the good things that you do, all the things that you want to do. We know that the best is yet to come, and we look forward to seeing what you have for us. Bless us as we think on these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head over to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.